This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, thank you very much, Richard Duggan, and hello to you, Claudette Barnes, somewhere in the darkness there. There I am. All I see is a reflection of my own face, which is really (laughs) freaking me out. (laughs) Yeah, it would be kind of freaky. Just saying. It's like I'm talking to myself here. Uh, uh, how you doing? Oh, you know, if I were to turn off, I'm doing okay. If I were to turn off the lights here, you might be able to see me better. But we'll do the, worry about that in a minute. Uh, the weather. Oh, <sighs> the weather this weekend's impacting how people feel about what they want to do. Yeah, for sure. And... Um, it's funny you mentioned that because um, Environment Canada meteorologist Ian Hubbard is uh, waiting in the wings, batting down the hatches. A nasty weather system is on its way this weekend that will bring with it strong winds and plenty of precipitation. Now, it's going to be mostly rain on the island, but for Labrador... Oh, the the S word. It's snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and lots of it. Uh, Environment Canada meteorologist uh, Ian Hubbard joins me now. Well, good afternoon, Ian. Good afternoon. So tell me a little bit about uh, this system that's coming our way. What can we expect? Well, it is going to be uh, a pretty busy weekend in terms of weather. Uh, it looks like right now we've got some uh, rain going to be starting early in the day on the west coast and uh, spreading through the south coast and most of the rest of the island by evening. Uh, looking at some pretty significant rainfall amounts over parts of the south coast. And we're going to see some strong uh, southerly winds across most of the island there as well. Uh, so be keeping an eye on the wind strength there. Uh, potentially seeing some gusts to 100, maybe even a little higher in some areas. So we're still fine-tuning the forecast at this point. So Uh, 100, that can be damaging. uh, It certainly can, depending on where. Um, We we would issue wind warnings with that for any areas that we expect to see gusts that high. Um, Certainly won't be everywhere, but we will see strong winds uh, for most areas uh, over some parts uh, later in the day, Saturday and into Sunday. So I expect that the uh, um, leaves will be scattering around a bit and Christmas decorations. Yeah, anything that's uh, not tied down well, probably going to do a little bit of blowing around and uh, hopefully not end up too far away. So uh, what are we expecting in terms of rainfall? Well, right now the highest amounts are expected along the south coast. Uh, Rainfall amounts... uh, Probably going to be anywhere from uh, 30 as a, as a lower end up to 50 millimeters uh, for some areas. And there is still potential for some very uh, local higher amounts, uh, maybe as much as 75 or, or 80 millimeters with that. And um, for other parts of the island, uh, rainfall amounts should probably be a lot less, uh, anywhere from, uh, let's say, 20, maybe even up to 30 for parts of central and uh, east coast. And then over uh, western and northern areas, those amounts will be a little bit higher, probably not as high as the south coast, but certainly uh, in the 30 to 40 millimeter range is expected at this point. But uh, as we move forward with the forecast, we'll start to uh, really pin down those amounts exactly where they're going to fall and uh, any warnings that might be required. So I take it the temperature is going up because as of late, uh, it's been uh, unusually cold this for this time of year. So the temperatures must be going up in order for this to stay as rain. That's 
that's right. The, the center of this low is going to be just west of the island, so that keeps us in the warm flow. A lot of warm air pushing up, uh, and we'll be seeing the uh, the temperatures rise. You know, starting overnight actually tonight and by morning uh, tomorrow. So we are actually looking at some uh, double-digit highs uh, for many areas tomorrow in the low teens, 10 to 13 degrees. That that uh, range there, and that'll continue through Saturday. Uh, now, as this low starts to move away, uh, it's going to pull north, and those winds are going to shift to the west. And in behind that, we're going to start to see some of that cooler air push down from Quebec and Labrador and uh, sweep across the province. And we'll start to see that later in the day on Sunday. So we will see a temperature drop there. And it uh, looks like it's probably going to remain cool uh, for uh, several days after that. So if this system is keeping us on the warm side until it passes through, I presume then that Labrador is on the cool side. They're getting snow. Uh, yeah, where this storm is tracking, you're right. The, uh, the areas of southeastern and, and central Labrador, right up through northern Labrador, they're going to see uh, quite a bit different weather than what Newfoundland's going to see. So uh, many areas there will see snow from this event and some significant amounts as well. Um, anywhere from 30 up to maybe 50 or 60 centimeters for, for some areas. And there's going to be uh, a small area of freezing rain there as well. And uh, just below that freezing rain, uh, parts along uh, southeastern Labrador, right along the strait, they're going to see rain from this as well. But quite a mix and uh, a difference than what, what the island's going to see. And those high winds as well? Uh, they will see some high winds there as well. That's right. Um, be a little bit different wind direction. Uh, the strongest winds for Labrador are expected to be uh, later in the day on Sunday, and that's going to be from the north and then eventually northwest as this uh, low-pressure system moves up into the Labrador Sea. So it's going to be, uh, again, bringing in some, some cooler air, and, and it'd be blowing that snow around as well. So could see some reduced visibilities there uh, later in the weekend. So a lot, of, a lot of different weather elements there to pay attention to uh, going forward. Any areas of particular concern uh, as this system, uh, you know, passes through? Uh, well, right now it looks like the uh, the highest snowfall amounts are going to be uh, a little bit further north and in, in, in the interior. So we're looking at Goose Bay uh, and, and pushing up uh, right up to the Labrador coast. That area there, we're expected to see the, the highest snowfall amounts, but there will be a, a wide area that, that receives uh, snowfall amounts in the 20 to 30 range, which is still significant, especially this early in the year. And you just said it there, this early in the year, because it seems to me as a casual observer, it's been unusually uh, cool and, um, and with lots of precipitation through October and November. Uh, are we seeing unseasonably cooler temperatures? Uh, certainly at the start of next week, as this cold air pushes through, uh, we will start to see some temperatures be more towards seasonal or, or below seasonal. Uh, but for this weekend, we've got that warm air coming and, and pushing up. So even parts of Labrador, it's going to be kind of riding that uh, freezing mark between the rain and the snow for a little bit. But then as we move forward, uh, definitely going to see more of that Arctic air uh, push down across the region, making things uh, a little bit cooler than normal than we'd expect uh, at this time of November. Ian Hubbard, I do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 
So uh, temperatures rising, so you can peel back that extra blanket or comforter on the bed that we've needed <laughs> of late, <laughs> and then uh, dipping back down again by Sunday evening. So you got to haul it back on. Oh yeah, I, I hate that. It's a workout. Although I, I believe that we're all losing weight at night for sure. <laughs> yeah, for, doing that. yeah, I'm continually like flipping it off, pulling it back on, big time, flipping it off, pulling it back on. Yeah, I'm. I mean, your arms are sore by the time you wake up. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I woke up the other morning with this pain in my shoulder, oh. and I must have strained it somehow. <laughs> doing that. Maybe it was doing that. Yeah. Sometimes you say, you know, I think I slept wrong, but no, maybe it's just... <laughs> I'm continually <laughs> working now. all night long. <laughs> um, so, yeah, some nasty weather coming our way, and that's going to be par for the course, I guess, for the next little while. And that's leading to uh, questions about whether or not uh, depots and the provincial government as a whole is ready for snow clearing. And we saw that uh, tragedy on the Buren Peninsula this morning. So we're going to uh, go back to a conversation that Patty Daly had with Transportation Minister John Abbott when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on V. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we are back. Well, two men are dead following a collision on the Buren Peninsula Highway early this morning. A pickup collided with a transport truck near the Red Harbor turnoff just before dawn. And while uh, RCMP are conducting an investigation into the cause of that uh, terrible tragedy, callers to the VOCM newsroom this morning indicated that road conditions in the area were slippery at the time. Well, Transport Minister, uh, sorry, Transportation Minister John Abbott spoke with VOCM Open Line host Patty Daly this morning. But what's the status of being prepared for the winter season? Because it's here. I mean, the, the snow has already fallen. Are the depots fully staffed up, maintenance and machinery all ready to go, especially in that area this morning? Well, we are certainly ready for for the winter season, and we're, as the, we announced there a couple of weeks ago, uh, we're bringing on our crews, we're making sure all our equipment is up and running, and then that is brought in uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I don't have a, a, a report from the uh, situation on the Bjorn Peninsula yet as to if there were uh, any road conditions that we could have mitigated, but uh, once I find that out, I'll certainly let you know. But uh, our crews are ready. They're obviously look at the forecast and we make sure we've got the uh, the plows on the road, the salt uh, ready to go and uh, whatever else we need. So uh, uh, we'll, once we know the results and the RCMP will provide that, that to us, uh, we'll see what anything else we could have done or should do in the future. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts before we move, uh, now I understand you want to talk about small business downtown, fair enough. When it comes to we moved away from 24-7 snow clearing but the conversation has always said that if there is an emergency then the Department of Highways will be able to respond. But of course, when we're talking about, for instance, an ambulance, the emergency is immediate. So how does 24-7 snow clearing work when we talk about emergencies? Because if I need an ambulance and the uh, highway is snowbound, then at some point, for the time being of the essence, we've lost time. So how is it intended to work? And do you think, in your opinion, as the minister responsible, it does work? 
Well, the uh, approach here, of course, is, and the ambulance operators will know this, that if they are called out and depending on the, we the weather conditions and road conditions, uh, they will notify our depot. We'll make sure then we get the equipment out uh, to make sure and almost to escort them so that they can get to uh, to, to the residence and or to the hospital as, as needed. Uh, so we're monitoring that. We make sure we got all our road, road advisories out and then the crews are, are ready. Uh, but uh, we don't uh, commit to 24-7 uh, because we don't think that is needed, but uh, we will make sure that the uh, the operators, uh, ambulance operators, are supported in uh, doing the essential work that they definitely need to do. Uh, just for clarification, so if the RCMP said that road conditions, ice or otherwise, uh, was a contributing factor to this collision, that becomes a formal investigation led by your department as to the operations of that particular highway depot. Is yeah, is that accurate? Well, what we would look at then, if if we could have been or should have been out earlier, then uh, we'll we'll take that in and then uh, look at our operations to see, the, make sure we, that doesn't happen uh, on the go-forward basis for sure. So that's Transportation Minister John Abbott on VOCM Open Line with Patty Daly this morning. That's not the reason why he called, but uh, Patty uh, put those questions to him. Um, and it's a terrible tragedy. Our deepest condolences to the two victims of that uh, collision this morning. And it uh, unfortunately ties in with um, the uh, World Day of Remembrance, which is occur occurring this Sunday for road traffic victims. There was a uh, ceremony this morning at RCMP headquarters to mark that uh, solemn occasion. Here are some of the comments made first from RCMP Inspector Tracy Edwards, uh, following, uh, followed by RNC Constable Mallory Harris. To the families and friends of road crash victims here today and across the province, please accept my deepest sympathies. Thank you to those who share their stories so that together we can try to prevent future crashes and save lives. Losing a loved one in a roadway crash is an unexpected and oftentimes preventable tragedy that has devastating impacts. Unfortunately, this year, a number of additional families joined many of you here today in grieving the tragic loss of a loved one killed on our roadways. So far in 2023, the areas policed by the RCMP in Newfoundland, 30 people have lost their lives in 27 crashes, and many more have suffered serious, life-changing injuries. Sadly, two of those fatalities occurred only just this morning. These numbers and what they represent are heartbreaking, and we need to learn from them. Sadly, despite public awareness campaigns by MAD, Stand for Hanna, police, governments and others, our officers continue to see drivers making very poor choices. Impaired driving, distracted driving, aggressive driving and lack of seatbelt use continue to be common factors that kill people on our roadways. As drivers, we are all responsible for our choices and actions when behind the wheel of a vehicle each and every time we start the ignition. Although there are consequences in place to deal with those who choose to break the law, those consequences will never be enough to take away the enormous grief <clears throat> and devastation imposed on the families of those loved ones who are tragically killed. Not only is today about remembering those who died as a result of road crashes and those left with life-altering injuries, it is about encouraging a commitment to change amongst all drivers. With the common factors I mentioned moments ago being heavily accounted for as causes in fatal roadway crashes year after year, as well as being entirely preventable choices, there is a grave need for change. Our police officers continue to work diligently to, at promoting road safety, 
through education and enforcement of the law. Each and every shift, our police officers look for and respond to reports of impaired driving, aggressive drivers, distracted drivers, and those who simply do not follow the rules of the road, placing themselves and others at an unnecessary risk. As police officers and first responders to roadway crashes, we share with you the impacts of these tragic events. One of the biggest linkages or triggers to post-traumatic stress disorder amongst police officers is the horrific sights, sounds, and smells of a fatal traffic scene. Some of these things haunt many of our officers throughout their career and into retirement. From the moment we receive the dreaded call for service to when we lay in bed at night after contemplating our shift and often the many nights to follow, the impact of your loss weighs heavy as we replay what occurred and try to process that trauma. I'm sure I can speak on behalf of both police forces for Newfoundland and Labrador when I say I wish we could promise you a year free of roadway deaths. Unfortunately, despite our best efforts at education and enforcement, we know that we cannot make that promise. The decision to drive safely and responsibly rests with each and every driver in this province each and every time they drive. What we can promise is our continued commitment to education and proactive enforcement efforts to inform the public and to save lives. I thank all our partners here today, including the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary, Digital Government and Service NL, and other, sorry, and other road safety partners for their respective roles in roadway safety. In conclusion, I ask all drivers to reflect on this simple phrase. Safer you, safer me. Please think not only of yourselves while driving, but think, but think of everyone else who shares the roadway with you and those counting on your safe return home. Next, I'd like to invite Constable Mallory Harris with the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary to come forward to the podium and offer your perspective. I'm honored to be here today to speak on behalf of over 400 officers of the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. My name is Mallory Harris and I'm a constable with the Accident Investigation Traffic Services Division in the RNC. The World Day of Remembrance for Road Traffic Victims is a somber reminder of the traumatic losses suffered on our roadways. To the families, friends, colleagues who are grieving, I extend my sincerest condolences. Losing a loved one in any circumstance is tragic. However, knowing their death could have been prevented that pain is unimaginable. Many factors contribute to the safety of our roadways. Factors such as adverse weather conditions are beyond human control. But distracted driving, speeding, impaired driving, that's a choice. A choice that puts people directly in harm's way. As police officers, it is our duty to enforce the Highway Traffic Act, and we do so ultimately with the goal of saving lives by reducing the number of serious and fatal collisions. We know that for every ticket issued, every vehicle suspension, every vehicle impoundment, there is one less family that has to suffer. Enforcement may be an effective deterrent of traffic-related offenses. However, it is through public awareness, education campaigns, and unfortunately, events like this one that will create a culture of safe and smart drivers, because road safety is a responsibility of us all. By being here today, we demonstrate our support and acknowledge the danger on our roadways. I have been asked by event organizers to speak to the secondary trauma of vehicle collisions on our uniformed officers and civilian members. This is the less visible response to every collision. 
patrol members and accident investigators, as an example, would be first responders. They would be on scene, collecting evidence, processing the scene, and taking witness statements. Often overlooked are all of those within the responding agency involved in every single investigation. I will briefly walk through the response process of the RNC. First, a communications technician will receive sometimes frantic calls that promote, or sorry, that prompt the response. First responders are then engaged to respond, which may include street patrol, accident investigators, impaired driving investigators, forensic officers, and other support staff. Supervisors are then responsible to ensure all investigative techniques have been exhausted. The information management team will then review the information for data collection purposes. If charges are laid, it is the provincial court liaison officer who swears to any charges and submits the information to the court. And through a trial process, the investigator then shares the outcome of the investigation and other officers may be called as witnesses as well. This will give you just an idea of the number of people impacted by a single event. And that's just within the RNC. Let's not forget our partner agencies, firefighters, paramedics, and tow truck operators. All of this is to say that the decisions you make while driving can have devastating impacts on the communities, on our communities as a whole. As I conclude, I offer this reminder. Look after yourself. Look after your mental and physical health and support one another. Some of the comments from the um, ceremony held at RCMP headquarters in St. John's today to mark the World Day of Remembrance for Road Traffic Victims. And all the more poignant today because uh, more families out there today mourning the loss of loved ones due to that uh, terrible tra tragedy on the Buren Peninsula. Well, when we come back, the province introduces a new dashboard to share information, not just on the latest COVID numbers, but other respiratory illnesses as well. We'll hear from Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, when we come back after the news. This is News Talk on VOCN. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Well, thank you, Richard and Claudette. Well, a little uh, food recall to tell you about. This is a fairly serious one. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency recalling three brands of cantaloupes because they may be contaminated with salmonella. And some of these cantaloupes were sold here in Newfoundland and Labrador. The brands are Malachita, Save on Foods and Urban Fair and include not only whole cantaloupes but also pre-cut chunks which is usually the way I eat my cantaloupe is usually you know in a little yeah I'll get them if they're on fruit sale salad or mm -hmm. whatever yeah uh, so it includes uh, whole cantaloupes pre-cut chunks uh, fruit salads platters anything that contains the fruit. There have been eight confirmed salmonella cases uh, linked to Malachita cantaloupes in British Columbia, one confirmed case in Ontario. The Food Inspection Agency says the affected Malachita cantaloupes were sold between October 11th and November the 14th inclusive. It says the affected uh, Save on Foods and Urban Fair products have best before dates up to and including November the 9th. The cantaloupes were sold in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, British Columbia, Alberta, 
Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and Yukon Territory. The Food Inspection Agency says consumers should throw out any affected products and contact a health care professional if they think they became sick with salmonella. And uh, if you contracted salmonella, you probably no. have a pretty good idea that you had it. It is, you become violently ill. Okay, uh, we've just recently purchased cantaloupe. I think we've got a couple in our fridge now, so now i got to do some investigation. Do a little investigating, mm-hmm. and uh, if you're not sure if it's already cut, uh, you know, you might as well just throw it away because yeah. you don't know. Exactly. How will you know? Yeah. Uh, but um, the uh, they were sold between October 11th and November 14th. So that's up to and including what? Monday's 14th Monday. Well, this is the 17th. So the 14th was Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. So uh, up until very recently. So keep that in mind. And if you're not sure, just uh, check out the Canadian Food Inspection, uh, Inspection Agency website or um, uh, call your local grocery and they'll be able to tell you for sure. Well, the province is launching a new dashboard to monitor all respiratory illnesses in the province. Most people, of course, Claudette, your, yourself and myself, where this has been our job for the last, uh, oh my goodness, it's almost four years, can you imagine? To check the COVID dashboard and just see what the latest numbers are and those sort of things. They've reduced the frequency of updates in uh, recent months, but uh, yeah. we still go there. I d- That's I, our job. I prefer use, I preferred listening to you giving out the updates and having to go to to the dashboard but you know but i I had to go to the dashboard to give the updates yes Uh, (laughs) so um yeah so basically if you went to the dashboard you would see that you know Mm -hmm. there's been so many deaths uh related to COVID 19 reported in the last whatever the reporting period is so many confirmed cases of COVID. it doesn't include all cases of COVID. it just includes lab confirmed cases of COVID, and only so many people now are getting those lab-confirmed uh, diagnoses, usually in healthcare settings, that sort of thing, long-term care homes and the like. Uh, but, um, you know, officials do know when someone passes away because of COVID or uh, COVID-related complications. Well, that dashboard is now going to be updated to include things like seasonal influenza, Uh, otherwise known as the flu. Um, And I would assume RSV, which is another nasty old virus that goes around this time of year. Uh, So Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, introduced the new dashboard today uh, that incorporates confirmed cases of seasonal influenza and other respiratory illnesses, including COVID. Here's a little bit of what she had to say today. Our new dashboard uh, is, uh, instead of um, just looking at COVID now, you know, we're trying to combine COVID as a part of the, the respiratory virus landscape that's out there. So um, the new dashboard is really going to look at COVID as well as flu and other respiratory viruses that are circulating at the time. At, uh, at, at the moment. Um, so, you know, RSV and uh, para-influenza virus and other viruses such as that. So uh, it's really about having all of this information in the same uh, same place so that people can look at that. And um, it also has some information about vaccine and uh, some um, uh, links to our timeforthashot.ca site to book your vaccine. Um, so yeah, it's, it's sort of one-stop shopping for respiratory virus season. 
How long has uh, this been in the works? Oh, well, so we've been working on this. It's the end of... Uh, I guess last flu season really um, so you know we recognized uh, with the advent of Omicron and the way that uh, um, you know respiratory viruses are going that we really needed to be looking at all of this together so we've been uh, working on it since last late last spring I would say and uh, so it's finally come to fruition now. So I think what we really want is uh, you know just for people to be aware of what's, uh, what's happening out there so to be looking at uh, you know what's circulating. Uh, so uh, if you go on there, you'll see uh, on on the influenza page that you know we're seeing a little uptick in influenza now, which is a little bit earlier than what we usually um, would see. So people could take that information and uh, you know understand that uh, they need to be a little bit more careful about washing their hands and uh, staying home if they're sick, and that to consider that it could be uh, influenza that's circulating or that they could have if they've got some symptoms. And then of course. Uh, we hope that people will take that information and understand the importance of getting vaccinated and to uh, uh, to head to either their pharmacist or their physician or to book a clinic uh, book an appointment at one of our clinics to get uh, their flu shot and of course you can get your covid shot while you're there do you find that people are more cognizant now of the other respiratory viruses that are out there? Yeah, I think they are. I think, you know, certainly COVID has uh, has made us uh, aware of respiratory viruses. I'm not even sure people uh, sort of were aware of that term uh, much prior to the pandemic. And, uh, and I think last year where we did have such a significant flu season and we saw such an impact uh, on, on healthcare systems uh, from RSV, uh, I think people are more aware of of, um, of viruses that are circulating. So, uh, you know, and an informed public is, is really important. So, Yeah, the more you know, I guess it's better to have a real sense of what is actually going out there, uh, going on out there, rather than just guessing. It's not about uh, creating fear or anything. It's just about, I suppose, uh, you know, spreading information that people may need. And it's very important, you know, I, I feel that this is something that's going to take a little bit of while because we all hate change. I mean, there was a while, like I mentioned, we would depend on just the radio and listening every single day to make sure that we got the updates. Now the onus is on us as individuals, members of the public, to protect our own health and to make that conscious effort to make that part of our routine, whether it's weekly or whoever often um, it, it's updated because it, it does make a difference. If we're aware of the numbers, I think we're going to go to our hand sanitizer more. We're going to be a bit more vigilant about our, our hygiene. And having a mask on hand because uh, yes. there's nothing worse than being in a uh, closed situation and saying, oh, no. Now I'm not feeling 100% comfortable. I wish I had my mask. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean, I used to have one and every, and then I just, you know, kind of away from mm -hmm. the mask because of, I guess, you know... Uh we're not hearing those numbers all the time. Yeah, yeah. And we I tend to forget about to, them. Sometimes a blind eye, but now I, I need to know this. This has to be a part of our routine. And, I mean, numbers on RSV and influenza mm -hmm. and all that has always been available, but you had to know where you were going. Yeah. I and mean, it was less public aware, right? Yeah. We're, we're more aware. There's more of a public awareness campaign, I feel, about this. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, good idea, not a good idea. Um, I'm a proponent of more information. Information, 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 information. Come on with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we can't be like ostriches and bury our heads in the sand when we know this is happening. And this, you know, this can be really serious for our family members if we don't uh, just wake up and, and understand the numbers and uh, act accordingly.
Right on. Well, uh, Labatt today introduced a new system to do away with those pesky plastic rings. Oh, I always think of wildlife when I think of those rings. It really bothers me when I see them. Honestly, how much of your time is spent chopping Trying those things up? Trying to cut them up? Yeah. I, I, cut, I used to try to cut them up before they'd go into the garbage because I don't want it around the neck of an animal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and even like the smaller holes. Oh, so hard sometimes. <laughs> and then trying to do it so this all a big string instead yes. of all these little pieces. Yes. I don't <laughs> <laughs> but I spend a lot of time cutting up these things because it's not just on on beer, of course, that you see mm-hmm. it on. It's on any packaged oh, yeah. the you know, ju- drinks the and stuff. Two, two liters of, of different juices that you get if you go to a bulk you know store like Costco for instance you got those rings yeah those hard, hard ones yeah really so you hard. can't even you can't do anything really with them no. you just kind of yeah goes into the recycling hopefully it goes into the recycling but anyway so uh, Labatt is introducing a new system to do away with those plastic rings that you see in this case around beer cans uh, so we'll hear more about what they are doing there when we come back after the break this is news talk on VOCM stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, the longtime Labatt Brewery in St. John's is the latest to phase out and ultimately eliminate those environmentally unfriendly plastic rings that hold six and eight pack cans together. Switching to paperboard and installing the new packaging system is costing more than 10 million dollars and will remove an estimated 24,000 kilograms of plastic from the landfill each year. Officials demonstrated the new system uh, for media today during a tour at Labatt's Leslie Street facility. VOCM's Brian Callahan was there. I'm very pleased to introduce our general manager of Labatt Breweries for Atlantic Canada, Anarud Rukota. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for coming. Uh, it's a wonderful Friday afternoon, so it's good to see everyone. <laughs> My name is Anurud Kota. Uh, most people call me Rue. As mentioned, I'm the general manager of Labatt Bur- Atlantic Breweries, including the one here in St. John's. We're here today to, uh, to celebrate a major investment in our brewery. Over the past six weeks, we've halted production to install a new bottle and can packaging system, form- usually known as Packer. This, repre- re- this represents $10.5 million investment in our brewery. The highlight of this new Packer is the elimination of plastic rings that hold six and eight packs of beer together. Those, who, those have been replaced by sustainable uh, p- sustainable paperboard boxes. The new system is also replacing our bottle packer that has become outdated. We're very proud of this investment. It's a signal to our employees and our community that we're here to stay. The brewery has been here since 1930 and has been owned by, 19, by Labatt since 1962. So we want to focus on the successes for many years to come. From local favorites like Blue Star and Jockey Club to market leaders like McUltra, this brewery will continue to produce the best beer in Canada while maintaining our commitment to environmental sustainability. I would like to thank our team here in St. John's for their hard work in preparation for this project, including Justin Andrews, who's our operations manager, our site lead, Zach Johnson, and also our brewmaster, Rod Penny, our uh, technical services manager, and Mitchell Drover, our project specialist. So, as we go through this, although all these people have led to, all these people have led the project, some things like this require a lot of effort and cooperation of everyone. I would like to thank all of our salary team here, 
and the members of NAEP Local 7004 for their support over the past number of weeks. I'm proud of the entire team, their hard work, and positive attitude that has helped made this a success. Thank you so much, Rue. Up next, we have our Federal Minister for Labor uh, for Newfoundland and Labrador, MP Seamus O'Regan. Minister, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I want to know where you get that shirt. <laughs> is that, is, does Labatt have its own plaid now? We do. God, that's very impressive. It's a wonderful one. That's very impressive. Medium. Thank you. Medium, yeah. <laughs> I was talking to mom yesterday, letting her know my schedule for the day, and uh, there was a pause, and she went, back to the brewery again. <laughs> oh, my. I said, but, you know, we keep coming back here because you guys keep making great investments here. And for your employees and for this whole part of St. John's, it's really important. You know, we don't take these kind of good jobs for granted. Um, and we certainly don't take the investments that you make uh, in the city and in this plant for granted. Um, uh, I think this is a marvelous thing you're doing here. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the logistics that went into it. Um, you know, some things are, uh, you know, plastic. We're trying to get rid of it where we can, where, you know, where it's unnecessary because it, it lasts for so long. And, you know, and many of us are sick to death of breaking out the scissors and cutting up the rings all the time, right? Because you want to do your part. You've, you know, we've seen, we live on an island, big island, but we live on an island. And we know that, you know, the things that we do, the choices that we make, it can affect the environment around us. And so, you know, we can do things to help it along. You, you do things to help it along. It's just some common sense stuff. Uh, paper's recyclable, and aluminum is heavily recyclable. And, you know, it, it's what people want. Cans are easier for a lot of people than bottles, and, uh, and you guys are just keeping up with the times. I'm just really glad that you're doing it right here. Uh, I love it when, you know, what we do for the environment is also good for everything else, and it makes sense economically, and it makes sense for jobs. That's, like, that's, that's what you want to get. That's what you want to reach. And I think this saves you something like, what, 24,000 kilograms of plastic every year just from this place alone. So that's remarkable. Anyway, uh, you have been, um, I think, very proud corporate partners uh, in this city and in this province. And uh, I'm really, really delighted with the investments that you made and the confidence that you show your employees and all of us, too. So thank you very much. Thank you to all the workers here at Labatt. Thank you for doing such a great job. Thanks for continuing to believe in this province and investing here. Thank you. So that's some of the speeches today at Labatt Breweries um, who are um, switching to paperboard, installing a new packaging system uh, costing about uh, $10.5 million to uh, eliminate those uh, plastic rings and um, divert some 24,000 kilograms of plastic from the landfill each year. That's a pretty dramatic change. Well, there's some sad news in the entertainment world today, Claudette. And even if this name doesn't sound familiar to you, you will know his work. George Funky Brown, co-founder and longtime drummer of Cool in the Gang. Oh, Cool in the Gang, okay. Uh, has passed away. He helped to write such hits as Too Hot, Ladies Night, Joanna, and I challenge you <laughs> to come up with a memory of any party you have uh, attended in your lifetime where they didn't play celebration good yeah. times come on love that one uh so he helped to write that song he uh, passed away at the age of 74 a statement from universal music says brown died thursday in los angeles after a battle with cancer cool in the gang sold millions of records with its catchy blend of jazz funk and soul what brown liked to call the sound 
of happiness and all of their work ha- was very uplifting you couldn't help but you know, bop around, yeah. Start bopping. <laughs> That's right. Brown helped launch the Grammy-winning group in 1964, would you believe? I didn't realize that Cool and the Gang went back that far. Uh, cool and the Gang broke through in the mid-1970s with Jungle Boogie. It's like, it's like um, every Cool and the Gang hit has been adopted for commercial purposes, hasn't so it? So true. Yeah. It seems to me that uh, most, you know, telecommunications and these kinds of things, you know, uh, for cell coverage and that sort of thing, they all seem to adopt Cool and the Gang for their uh, for their music. Um, so Jungle Bo- Boogie, among other songs, and peaked in the late 1970s and mid-80s with such hits as Cherish and celebration so uh very sad the passing of george funky brown co-founder and longtime drummer of cool and the gang well on another artistic note artists and performers gathered at the alt hotel in st john's today it was at the invitation of the owners of the old masonic hall um who are part of what they now call the masonic project to discuss where to from here co-owner of the masonic Sonic Building, Morgan McRae, uh, spoke with VOCM's Jerry Lynn Mackey, who paid a visit to them today. What's coming forward? What's coming forward is uh, really interesting. Uh, the, the message that we're getting back from the room is how nice it is to get um, lots of different disciplines together and that they might have been aware of each other, but they've never been in an environment like this before all at the same time. We all end up siloed in our own way. You know, dancers hang out with other dancers, visual artists hang out with visual artists, musicians end up at bars together. It's just it's just one of those things. So I think um, it was really nice to get uh, the community together in a broader sense and not just by our own disciplines. Um, It's also teaching us um, a lot about what we can't do with this particular building and that the conversation is much larger than just any one particular organization or any one particular owner. Uh, So we're going to go back and reevaluate. It's like, hey, what we have planned right now, is that appropriate? Um, And maybe we need to think about, you know, the Masonic as not just this particular building, but an ongoing conversation and an ongoing project, which is exciting. It's always great to give yourself more work. So there you go, Morgan McRae uh, with uh, VOCM's Jerry Lynn Mackey today. Uh, they had a, a gathering of artists and other performers at the Alt Hotel uh, to come up with some ideas and, and thoughts about uh, the old Masonic Hall and what they're now calling the Masonic Project and um, figure out where to from here. Well, that's it for us for now, Claudette. I trust that you will have a good weekend and that you will sit down safe and dry <laughs> well unlike you I'm, I'm a bit of a procrastinator you got your summer stuff out I think last weekend or so I'm gonna have to bring all mine back into my house now too before the uh, before the wind the wind and wind the rain blows yeah. it around wow what a wild wind uh, so yeah uh, stay safe everyone uh, keep an eye on the weather if you're planning in if you have any travel plans it may interrupt what you are planning to do so uh, keep an eye on that we'll keep you up to date throughout the course of the weekend you can guarantee that have a great weekend all bye bye for now